Hi, I'm Michelle Dunbar, and I'm here today with Mark Sheeran and Stephen Slate. We're the co-authors of the revolutionary books, The Freedom Model for Addictions and The Freedom Model for the Family, and this is the Addiction Solution Podcast. We tackle controversial topics surrounding addiction and substance use and bring a fresh perspective on an ever-growing problem in our society and in our world. You can always reach us directly by calling 888-424-2626. And today we're going to talk about uh, what's becoming a more popular uh, theory about addiction, which is that addiction is a result of a lack of connection to people. It's a result of isolation and trauma. And um, we want to talk about that. And what do you guys got to say? Well, specifically, the, uh, I think what we really want to tackle is this idea that you need to have um, cohesive relationships of some kind in order to, to stave off addiction. And um, almost as if, uh, if you don't have those things, you have space in your life that addiction fits into, like a puzzle. And, uh, and if you, know, you don't have that that sort of connection with people that, you know, uh, there's something missing in you. Now, I, I can tell you that um, I certainly have been in a place where I was actively using heavy and my relationships did suffer horribly and I did become extremely isolated. But it's one of those situations that's, did I have the cart for the horse in that right. theory? You know, um, my relationships suffered as a result in my case, of getting high. Um, and I think sometimes in our analysis, we tend to um, do an analysis in reverse. People focus on the bad part of addiction, which is the end when you're falling apart, and they make an analysis based on that. And if you look at a lot of people that are you know, real heavily involved with drugs, of course you can point out people that are uh, uh, disconnected from others but here's what's interesting and this is something that uh, where what we do at, at St. Jude's and at the Freedom Model um, is we look at the populations of, of the opposite for instance there are a lot of people millions billions perhaps that are not close to another human being or others or don't have deep friendships and they don't get high so you have this massive massive number of people uh, out there that um, I, I have relatives, I have one relative who said, I just don't like people. And, and this person truthfully lives like a hermit and, and doesn't, just doesn't like people, but they don't get high. You right. know, they don't drink. They used to, ironically. And actually, in his case, when he came to grips with the fact that he loved to be alone and not be with people is when he quit drinking and drugging. He found the social scene and trying to develop relationships so incredibly difficult that um, it was it was a time in his life when he was getting high and, and he said to me not that long ago he goes you know I just didn't fit into that whole scene with people and so here's a case where he was getting high at a time when he was trying to establish relationships and be a part of a social scene and be social and he's a funny intelligent person um, but he's much more comfortable not being around people and not having close relationships. It makes him feel safer and comfortable and happy, frankly. Um, he's happier than he's ever been, very successful. So, so I think it's important to look at uh, you know, the populations of people that don't fit the narrative 
if you're doing research. That's that's my point. Yeah. Steve, you got anything? Um, <clears throat> yeah. So we're jumping off of the opposite of addiction is connection. Right. Right. Um, I watched an episode of Intervention last mm -hmm. night. Season 19, episode 7. It's about a family. And they are... Six of them end up going to rehab by the end of the thing. Just let's just put that out there. That's what happens. But it's a father and his two sons, and they're squatting together in a garage somewhere, and they're looking out for each other. The dad is—I mean, the dad loves to use his drugs. He's doing heroin with them, but you can tell by the end it's kind of clear he's staying there with him because. The dad is the only one who appears like he's actually going to do well when they do the follow-up. Most everybody have, has relapsed or whatever. You know, right. I hate the term. But, right. Going but, back to using. <laughs> but there was something about when the, when the kids were taken away, when they, when they were getting taken away to rehab, like he could sort of let go. And then he got into a rehab and... He was cutting trees again. He was a tree cutter, and they had him work in the grounds, and he looked happy. He looked like he thought he had a future, blah, blah, blah. And he was away from the rest of his family. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do. I and, do. like, in this family, it was two sons, the father doing heroin. The mother was doing heroin, unbeknownst to any of them. The cousin was... what They, they were all really screwed up, and they were tight as hell. <laughs> they really loved each other, like, and they really clung to each other. Yeah. Right, and I know some people call that sickness or codependency or whatever, I have no idea. But as much as like there was a lot of bullshit flowing out of their mouths at times and, and um, th you could tell that they were tight and that yeah. they loved each other and these people were connected. And it makes me think back to when, you know, I lived in a crack house for a little while and these few places where I had a lot of junky friends and we would all, you know, we would all hang out and get high together, and we were pretty tight with each other, pretty connected. Now, that doesn't mean we weren't isolated or, and not, that's not the word, alienated is the word. That doesn't mean we weren't alienated maybe from our families or things like that. Um, but actually in the crack house, it was a whole family of drug dealers. Like, that was their life. They all dealt drugs and got high. And it was a whole bunch of hookers that lived together there, too, as well, and rented rooms. It was a big house. Um, I've seen people, you know, with, you know, addictions, like the worst of the worst, um, really tight yes. together. And then the other part that gets me is, you, you know, you see all of the expensive rehabs, um, and... You know, the people that go there have families that love them. They have every opportunity in the world. I, I know, you know, I was yeah. one of those people, plenty of opportunities. And, um, and it, the, this cage idea, right? Because we're talking about Johan's video, because basically everybody keeps sending us that. Yes, and yes. Okay. I agree with, well, there's different edits of it, but I'll say I agree with 75 or 80% of what he says. Like, but then, when he gets to the conclusion, and he says the opposite of addiction is connection, he says it's your cage, right? Meaning yeah. you're reacting to the circumstances of life. And it, but 
<clears throat> people see that and they think it means you need to be in a recovery community, right? Or that, you know, we need more jobs uh, in the economy needs to get better. And there are those kind of things. Like when people start talking about what needs to change in society, right? And Johan is inspired there by this guy, Bruce Alexander, who did the Rat Park study. And yes. Bruce seems to think that capitalism is the problem. And, <laughs> right. You know, which, is, which is feeding yeah, addiction. It's, you know, made this consumerist society where we're all worker bees and we're atomistic and pursuing selfish ends, right? This idea mm -hmm. like, and, <clears throat> you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to speak to that. I think, well, I will, I'll say it, it's horseshit, but <laughs> I, <laughs> tell us how you feel. <laughs> but that's, that's a different level of analysis. First of all, to say like society needs to change, mm -hmm. right? Like that doesn't help the individual. That's, that's exactly correct. Right. Like to say like, oh, well, if we all were more loving and accepting and like whatever, then yeah, there'd be less addiction. Okay. That I think maybe there would be less of these problems if everybody, you know, felt like open to do a variety of things. And if I had to say that there's an opposite of addiction, right? Yeah. I would say that it's diversification because addiction is your focus on one thing, one activity, right? right? The end all be all. And it's the romanticization of that activity, whatever it is, whether it's drugs or gambling or mm -hmm. pornography and sex, whatever it is, you're, you're focused on this one thing as your cure-all, your solution, your easy goal in life. And, and I don't know that even if people are connected, you get them away from the thing from, that they love. From the thing that they love. Part of the point of it is, uh, uh, you know, it simplifies your life. I know it's not easy. I've been out there stealing baby formula when I was, right. you know what I mean? Like going, filling my coat full of bags of baby formula. <laughs> oh my God. And I got tackled down and I think it like fractured one of my ribs, like one of the times that I got rest, or because I had the giant cans in it. Now, so I've been out there doing that kind of stuff and like, so it's a lot of work and it's not easy, but it really simplifies your life to it have sure does. one goal, and, one simple, pleasing thing. That's and, right. and in that vein, in research, it becomes very, um, you, gotta, you just have to be careful not to say the cause of addiction is this thing. Right. Yeah. Because what what happens is when researchers seek out a blanket solution which is we all need to be connected we need to change society that's such such dangerous ground um, because I'll, let me give a little example in my life so I wasn't an unpopular kid when I was partying I was pretty popular and um, and yeah, I felt bad and alone. I did bad things, yada, yada, yada. When, when you're getting high, you, you know, you live a crazy life. But I had a lot of friends and we had a lot of good times. Um, and ironically, the day I quit after I got in that car accident, I cut ties with every single person. And I, I did too. and my family was like, you gotta go. So I had no connection. I, I was out in the street, street by myself, cold, stone cold sober. 
So that literally blows that theory right out of the water. For the next two years, I struggled and didn't have really any relationships with anything that I would commonly call my old life, which ha was filled with relationships, some bad, some good, some wonderful, yeah. you know, that which is the fabric of life, right? So, so to say that the opposite of addiction is uh, connection, my experience doesn't say that at all. I was absolutely, totally disconnected from the world um, after I got sober, and then I slowly grew and built relationships from, from a starting point of nothing. So if that theory were true, if it was causal, and I think, I'm not saying that you don't understand it's causal, I think, but, but blanket statements make it sound that way, okay? So, but if it were causal, if, if everybody that um, didn't have that connection um, was getting high, then, then that's simply not true. I mean, it's, it's simply not true. Now, there are, there are times in my life where I felt really lost while I was getting high, I felt very lonely. Um, that's just part of life. You know, I don't know if it fueled anything. I, maybe on a certain day it did, right? It became my reason, but not causal. So I think it's really important to know that life with human beings is so incredibly varied. And that's something I learned by helping people for 30 years. Sitting across the table one-on-one -on -one with people and they tell their story and if you listen and you get rid of what you think they need, they will tell you exactly what the truth is about their life and it is as varied as the infinite possibilities of the universe. People's experiences are their own and their reasons for getting high are completely independent of any pattern. There's no pattern and to seek out a pattern of why people do what they do is one heck of a difficult thing to do and you're going to be chasing that for the rest of your life as a researcher. What you need to do, what I needed to do as a researcher was ask the person, what, what's going on? Yeah. Why do you love But if you're going to get, here's the key though, <clears throat> if you're going to get an honest answer then you have to ask them from a different perspective than so people true. get asked today because so yeah. Yeah. because there's there are certain narratives that we've all come, you know, not us here in this room, but the, the treatment has come to expect from people. And that is that, you know, the narrative with opiates now is, oh, I, I got a tooth pulled when I was in high school and I went on, you know, oxys and now I'm, you know, yeah, stealing I, for heroin. I'm gonna just jump us back <laughs> to that, that yeah. episode of Intervention that was about three of them gave that narrative. Yes. But then it turned out that they had crack problems for about 10 years before exactly. that. Exactly, I'm like... But I'm sorry, I'll just No, well that's the thing is now, you know, people with substance use problems learn what the accepted narratives are and then they parrot them. Like that's their own experience because they know that that's what the therapist across the table is going to say. Yes, I understand. That's acceptable. So, so they don't get to say the real reason. They don't get to say, you know, I just love being intoxicated because it makes me feel alive. I love it because it makes me, it gives me an escape. I for whatever it is, you're not, you're not. It's not okay for you to say that. Well, well, and and here's the point. So, so what is the the real reason that people get high is, um, if we make a blanket statement, it's because they want to be happy at right. some fundamental level. So, so they want to be happy. If 
at St. Jude's at our retreat when we're working with somebody for the first couple days one of the things we focus in on is why do you like to get high because in most theories about addiction if you were to ask the person you know do you like getting high they'll say no that's right because they're trained to say no because it's not okay to say yes right it's not okay to say you know what yeah I do I really I really like getting fucked up Mm -hmm. so so because it's embarrassing to them, they feel shame. They're shamed into saying you shouldn't want that. So, so if you're really gonna find out why an individual human being is doing what they do, you have to come with some base of knowledge. And the base of knowledge is that people are always in the pursuit of happiness. We call it the positive drive principle. So if you come at the conversation from a perspective of a person can only do what they want to do. They can't do something they don't want to do. Right. Right? So that means that addiction is a freely chosen series of choices or habits, right, that we create for ourselves based on our pursuits of happiness. So what do we do at the Freedom Model or at St. Jude's when we're working with somebody? It's real simple. What are the benefits of getting high? So for the first two days, we're going to say, what are the benefits of getting high? What are the benefits of getting high? And it's funny because nobody asked that in treatment. They're no. absolutely, treatment is absolutely terrified to go in that direction because they, they have no other solution but to bash addiction and, and then tell them they shouldn't want to get high and then hold them captive. Right. Meanwhile, the person is pining away to go get hammered the whole time. And, and is starting to think that they don't know why. Right. That they're crazy. That's exactly, yeah. tr that's exa and, and that, that confusion is, is the trap. We call right. it the trap. So if you work on the benefits, then, then the person can finally be honest and say, yeah, at, at, maybe it might be as simple as I don't want to have withdrawal. And so that's a form of happiness. It's better to not have withdrawal than have withdrawal, right? Right. So for that person. Then we can work from there and say, could you be happier making a change? Right. And, but you can't, you can't go in that direction. There's no progress that can happen if the person's lying to you and right. saying, oh, I, I totally hate it. I'm out of control, which is a myth. You can't be out of control. That's an impossibility. Right. Um, and and what are you going to do with that? And that's why treatment fails because they're not addressing reality. And um, and tying a lot of causes. That's right. Um, like, to it. And I wanted. Well, and that's, yeah. yeah. This thing. I think there's this idea that. Uh, well, let's go back to the cage. Right? Yes. The in the in the cage idea. You know, he talks about Vietnam veterans coming home and getting better and it's like all oh, their home Explain situation. Explain to these people out there what the cage is in case they don't know. Okay. Um, so so Johan Hari in his TED talk says it's not your it's not the drug it's your cage. Right? Is that how he puts yeah, it? Yeah. It's not the drug it's your cage. He explains how you know opioids aren't really addictive in a way and that's a deeper thing to get into but he's right. Yeah. Um, and he talks about these these experiments with rats where you know if you put a rat in a cage and the only thing it can do is press a button to send cocaine into its brain that's basically what it's going to do until it dies right right, right. and um, and if you then there was other experiments where they took the rats out of the cage and they put them in a just a bigger playpen area with other rats and they called that rat park and um, when they had the option between a drug or just water, they chose the water, right? And so he says it's not 
you'll, you know, it's not the drug, it's your cage, it's the situation you're in. Once the rats had more options, they did other things, right? Mm -hmm. And then he talks about Vietnam, veterans, most of them, there was a massive portion who were addicted to heroin over there, and then when they came home, most of them immediately got over the problem. Yep. Immediately, 80, 88%, only 12% relapsed within the first three years. And then in the long term, 96% of them got over it fully, right? So, um, but what this does is it changes it from like a pharmacological or drug-based determinism, mm -hmm. right, into a circumstance determinism or an environmental right. determinism, yeah. right? Where it's like, we're telling people now where the drugs are so powerful, they've changed your brain and they've enslaved you. And you, you literally can't do anything but keep doing them. And Johan is saying, well, your horrible environment has enslaved you to drugs, essentially. Or at least that's the message people are getting. Right? Yes. Right? Is. Like, right. even if he's not that strong about it, that's what people are getting. So, you know, it says you need a new cage, right? Um, meaning what? New family, new friends. Right. <laughs> I don't a know. Trigger -free a trigger-free environment, a new job. Um, you know, I don't know, but your your environment needs to change. He talks about a lot about you know Portugal and the fact that they decriminalize drugs, and so they stop putting people in cells. And I get that, but that's not everybody's in jail who uses drugs. Most most aren't. Right. Right. So, but it, he's suggesting some kind of change in your circumstances and I think this is like what they call like the chess pieces fallacy right that you could sort of you you can move people around like chess pieces on a board and arrange everything such so, so that it works out yeah. right like that some urban planner or something you know can can set up a city so that there's nowhere to sell Utopia. drugs yeah I don't know right you, you're like, that's what you're and, talking about yeah like that's the idea. Like, if, if we set up everything right, and, and the thing that I don't get is just there's so many people that have life set up all right for them. And, yeah. they, and they get high. Yeah. Well, yeah. The yeah. problem with Rat Park is that we're not rats. And we, everybody's an individual. And so, so this idea that we can set up a society where it will be utopian and nobody's going to want to get high and everybody's satisfied without drugs yeah I, it yeah. is it's it, what you're talking about the reason it's so wrong is it's still we used to use the terms internal locus of control and external locus of control yeah in previous editions of the book and so that's still an external thing that my environment has to be perfect so that getting high is not so attractive to me anymore yeah, again, and let's talk about the individual on the ground versus society. Yes. How, how quickly can we implement that solution? <laughs> exactly. Right? And make the, their, the entire environment perfect for them. People try that. Florida, the Florida oh, yeah. recovery. Uh, yeah, and they have some of the highest overdose rates yeah, in the country. That's an, ex that's an experiment yeah. in that, and it has failed, right? So again, now here's why people can always like addiction like what we call addictions they can always be focused on one activity because it's very simple as i said before yeah it's got no returns and so yeah. there is something wonderful about having a simple life i mean yeah. everybody's watching marie kondo right now in her show 
where you're getting rid of decluttering, right? Everybody oh, yes. wants to declutter. Yes. They want their home to simplify be simple. Simplify my life. Tiny but houses. Every, <laughs> people like simple. What's more simple than like, all I'm going to do is shoot up heroin all day, every day. Very simple. Yeah. It really organizes your life around one thing. And so I think no matter how great life is out there, there's people that are always going to be attracted to fixation on one thing. Well, there always has been yeah. in human history. Yeah. Yeah. The, and the other thing I wanted to go back to is, is this is also based on a notion that the connections you make, and you said this, you alluded to this earlier, the connections you make when you're in that lifestyle, when you're in the drug use, using lifestyle, are somehow bad or not, not right or codependent or you know neurotic locks. And, and I did have some very great nurturing relationships with the people I was getting high with. Yeah. I mean, the truth of the matter is, just like Mark, my experience was, I had this whole network network of people yeah. and that, that I loved. I mean, I genuinely loved them. I'm still in contact with some of them to this day. And, um, and it was, it, I was connected to those people. Now, yeah, there were days when I, I mean, I was kind of, I was a poet. So I was, I, you know, I sat in my room and listened to Pink Floyd and felt like the world was terrible. There were days like that, but the classic <laughs> adolescent stage, right? But, but there, you know, but there were more days that weren't than there were that were, and um, and I was alone when I first quit everything. I felt terribly alone yeah. because I had to give up all of those people. It, there's, there's, I'm gonna hit this from a different angle, and that is social norms. Yeah. One of one of the things about Rat Park that's a problem is to to move that into the human realm is and make a parallel is really difficult. First of all, the rats, right? The rats, they, they can't reason. Right. They don't build spaceships. So <laughs> that's so, a great right? Can you say that again? They don't build space shuttles. We, Thank you. We're, we're pretty smart. Um, <laughs> so so you have you have this theory that people and I use this way back in the tenth edition, I think, when we were writing it. I don't know, 15 years ago, that you have the ghetto where drug rates might be higher right, right. in certain places. And, and they, they come up with the societal answer, the determinism, and that is there's a lack of jobs, there's a lack of this, there's a lack of that, um, there's a lack of fathers in the black community, right? There's all these yeah. different... Well, then let's say you fix that, you the suburbs. Yeah. The suburbs have massive... <laughs> well, uh, exactly. So the question is, in changing times in society, you have social norms. Is it okay in a ghetto to have a guy on the corner selling drugs? The answer is yes. It's okay because he is there and it's happening and obviously has become so norm for that area. If you're driving through, right, the ghetto and you go, oh, the guy's selling drugs. If you saw that on the corner of a suburban school, you'd be very uncomfortable with that, right? So that doesn't mean it's not happening. It's just happening in a different way. It might be happening in the basement of some teenager's house, right? right. But the social norm keeps it out of being in the open. So let's say that the social norm is accepting of the crack dealer on the corner every three blocks of a certain ghetto. We can name probably 30 ghettos, uh, areas in, the, in cities in the United States right now where that is the social norm, where it is accepted. You know, the cop car pulls up, everybody disperses. It's, yeah. it's well known. There's an entire social construct wrapped around this. So if you go to Vietnam, let's talk about Vietnam for a minute. You're in Vietnam. You're bored out of your skull waiting for and a And terrified. And, and terrified, but you're bored, right? So you're, you're sitting around and there's heroin there. Lots of it, right? 
the social norm is that you can actually shoot up and it's okay, yeah. right? So when they it's got, a recreational activity that's accepted. It's, it's, a, it's a social norm. It is something that is accepted. So and that connects you to other people. That's exactly right. You're not out in a club. You're doing it with your buddies. Yeah. You know. So what happens in that research is that that aspect of that knit work, right, that what ties us all together is a social norm. That's ignored. Right. That's ignored. What's, what happens is the narrative is that there's a disconnection from people. There's something bad happening. Right. See? See, the whole idea around that kind of research is that addiction is bad. Right. But Substance you, use itself is bad. That's right. So let's take the bad out of it for a minute and yeah. be totally subjective and say, this is an activity that happened more in Vietnam than it happened here. It's not bad. It's not good. We're totally indifferent to that. We're going to be blind to the to, to, the, to the dangers. Yeah, to the morality of it, right? And what really is going on is you had a bunch of guys where heroin was totally accessible, cheap. They were bored out of their skulls. They literally had nothing to do but wait for a battle, right? Under under and and you had something that is Rat Park. That if you if you take a rat and you put him in a cage with the only thing he can do is do coke. Well, he's <laughs> yeah. probably going to do coke, right? Yeah. That's the social norm. It's not because he's thinking, I have nothing. <laughs> I, you know, it, so yeah. that, that's the aspect that yeah. gets added into this that's so detrimental because Steve points out something that's so crucial to this whole argument. It tears it apart, this connection idea. And that is there are lots of people who have really fantastic relationships and do drugs heavily. Yeah. And there, it isn't the minority of drug users out there. No, it isn't. It's, it's the vast majority. There are very few isolated junkies dying in the street in percentage-wise compared That's right. to those that have a relationship or more relationships or jobs. That's so, right. so it's real important not to make blanket statements about yeah. society and then come up with blanket statements about policy to change entire societies because that shit fails. It right. fails over and over because you're, what you're seeing is completely what you want to see. So I'm gonna, I just wanna be really clear that social norms are what guide yeah. addiction. I, I wanna say it's just, if you're trying to move out of a substance use uh, habit, it's like move to whatever is attractive to you. Yes, and as an we, individual. As an individual. And we have had, you know, also a lot of people over the years who really were, in a sense, well, just like, let's say isolated, that had, you know, just sort of pushed everybody else away and sat home drinking all day. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yep. We've seen that a lot, and that can lead to very bad. Yeah. And if you're in that situation and you're like, I need connection, if, if, you know what I mean? If, yeah. if, if Johan appeals to you, we're, we're not saying don't do that. Go do that. Go. Get make out, connections. Make connections. It's the make blanket statements yeah. of the researchers that are problematic. Yeah. Well, and it's and it's the idea that I need a perfect life surrounding me to not want to do drugs. And I, I, I quite frankly don't know a single person who quit, whether they went to treatment, whether they went to AA, whether wherever they went. I don't know a single person who was like, you know, yay, I'm quitting drugs and and. Everything's going to be easy Everything's now. easy now, and I'm connected with everyone just because I decided I'm not using heroin today. I yeah, mean, right. that, I mean, I, I know for me, 
I still get punished to this day for things I did 35 years ago by people that are supposed to love me. So I can tell you that if I waited for that, we would not be sitting here right now. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's so, so to think that I have to have these perfect relationships, there is no perfect relationship, not one. Yeah, and I, I, I want to say what Steve is saying too. I don't think Johan is saying that to that level. I think that's what people take from it. I do too. And, and I think that, that what's happening in so many um, research circles are these blanket statements about causes. And, um, and it's just not reality. Human beings are autonomous creatures that do things for themselves. Mm -hmm. And they're completely varied because free will is infinitely varied. So, and your own perspective is unlike any other human being in the past, the future, forever. Yeah. You are your own creature with your own thinking mind. So the only solution is to ask the individual honestly, without judgment, why do you personally like it? And it's okay, whatever you say is okay. Yeah, then you'll have a, then you will find exactly what the true answer is. Now it might take, it takes usually at the retreat a couple days for them to realize, for my guest or student to look at me and, and really realize, I say this is a judgment-free zone, dude, you are Sometimes it takes a couple weeks. Yeah, uh, really. What what aspect of this experience do you find valid and important to you? Yeah. And boy, when they come clean on that issue, uh, progress is rapid. Yeah, it's, it is. And it's exciting to watch them light up and say, you know, maybe I can be happier making a change. Maybe I can, because they can finally be honest about, well, drugs really aren't the end all be all. That's what they realize. Yeah. You know. And, and their mind opens up and free will takes over. It's very exciting. Yeah, definitely. Now, we're not saying, I, people will um, write to us sometimes on, on social media and stuff and say, you guys are just like AA. Your, your way is the only way and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I, that always makes me laugh so hard because I, they obviously didn't read the book. Um, and uh, because we're like the deprogramming guide um, for the AA way of thinking and for the disease way of thinking. We're the only one, the only deprogramming guide that, that helps people to, to unravel all of that stuff. Um, but we're not saying that, that, we, that our way is the only way. Look at if you, if you wanna try these other things, you wanna try to take care of your, your connectedness or your trauma or whatever it is, you should do that. Yeah, look at that, yeah. Our way, the freedom model way, is to determine what you want. That's yes. it. I mean, it couldn't be more free. Yeah, what makes you happier? That's it. And um, and what scares, now I'm going to address families really quick, and that what scares families is, interestingly enough, families will say, so you're telling them what, that, that, that substance use makes them happy? Well, then how are they ever going to stop? I mean, and families readily accept that. To a certain extent, that's what scares them about yeah. what we do. Because they know it's true. They do they know it's true. Him, they watch him drink on the easy chair. They watch their son go up in the bedroom and get high. And, and in the beginning, before all the judgments get deep, how the kid will say, it's something I like, it's something I like. Or yeah. they say, I or don't know why I do it, which the parent yeah. knows is bullshit. 
Yeah. Well, you know, no, I mean, I can remember saying I can take it or leave it. I actually said that there was a little mini intervention done with me. And I said that, which then initially made the person say, ah, there it is. You, if you say that, then you're an addict, you know, and I'm like, yeah. I was having a conversation with a student yesterday who um, eventually realized that there was a time when she knew she could just like it. Yeah. And could do it or not do it. And it was a great place to get to to remember that yes to remember that state of being yeah no I do it because you, I like it where they convinced you that you don't know why you're doing yeah that. and you and don't really like it you and don't it's like terrible. it it's, and, and and that is insidious yeah. it that really is, is. It, it is maddening it's I can remember being 14 uh, I'll never forget it and I I had been smoking pot and drinking heavy for about two years from 12 to 14 and I just got to the stage where it was it was becoming problematic and I, I wanted to start sports and I wanted to start doing some things different and I stopped and I could take it or leave it. Yeah. And I remember running these experiments because my family was so steeped in AA and I remember becoming very confused because I was going to rehabs on weekends with my siblings and stuff and hearing all this rhetoric and I started to doubt myself. That's yes. how insidious it is. I wasn't even in rehab or in recovery. Yep. I was just around it and I started to doubt myself. And then I started getting high again at about 15, started hiding it, right? Yeah. And, and started this whole weird lifestyle <laughs> <laughs> that, that was really deeply troubling. And, and you were you were yeah. taking you took on the addict self image. I totally did. I yep. to, and I could never just enjoy it. And man, I'll tell you, it accelerated my drinking and drugging like I had rocket fuel. Yes, and, I me mean, too. I, 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 it took right off. And and then you become I'll never forget it. Going to Hampton Beach with my brother, and we were both like we're alcoholics. Like it, like it hit us. <laughs> we were alcoholic. We drove all the way out there. Didn't have any booze or anything. We walked around Hampton Beach summertime, and we're just like looking for drugs and we couldn't yeah. get any and we got back and there's some people in a parking lot drinking guinness <laughs> and i remember i was like can i get like three quarts of that and i paid like a hundred bucks for three quarts of this food and we're and we, then we drove home like we drove out there and we're like we're alcoholics <laughs> i mean we're laughing about that now please understand it was a it was you can look back on these memories and laugh. I, I have similar memories, but we're coming up. Uh, we probably should be closing up here soon. Do you have any parting remarks, Stephen? Um, no, no. You know, other than it's, it's like let's let's look beyond the very simple like connection thing. Yeah. For for some people, they might want more connection in their lives. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's not the cause of addiction. Right. You know. Um, That's the key. Ad- you know, addiction is is a preference. It's a strong preference for something and, and for a, usually a single thing or single activity. Even if it's a bunch of drugs, it's like intoxication. Yes. In general yes. is what you like. You know, and so uh, I'm going to pose again my opposite of addiction would be diversification, which would be I don't need one thing to cure every ill in my life. Yeah. I can, <laughs> I can uh, and to yes. get any kind of pleasure, there's a lot of different things I can do when you get to that mindset. Um, it's very, very easy to not overuse. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's, that's a great way to close it. Thank you everyone. This has been Mark, Michelle, and Steven, and we are the authors of the Freedom Model for Addictions. We run the St. Jude Retreat here in upstate New York. 
Um, we have people come from all over the world and we will work with you one-on-one -on -one if you come to our retreat. We also work with people via Skype or FaceTime. We'll help you get through our book. Um, we have uh, family workshops. We'll go to your location. We'll work with one family or a group of families. Uh, and we, our books are available on thefreedommodel.org. They're also available on Amazon and some of the other online retailers. And you can reach us at 888-424-2626. You can see about our retreat at soberforever.net and thefreedommodel.org. You can see our research at baldwinresearch.com. Um, and we also are on Facebook Live every other Wednesday night. I think next Wednesday, a week from tomorrow, is the next time we're on at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye, everyone. Bye.